1: What you want to read on holiday, like, was absorbing. It's in it. a navy blazer, yeah, but it's so much more. No, yeah. I'll yeah.
0: send you the recipe.
1: That Thanks. sounds so good. And I would say yes. I did yeah. know pretty um, quickly. I knew you were going to say that. That's amazing. You're listening to the Sherlock's podcast. Your guide to a more stylish life. Stephen Bartlett is a businessman, author, and television presenter, not to mention a self-made millionaire. Describing himself as the blackest, brokest person growing up, he went on to found Social Chain, a social media marketing company that he exited in 2020, having merged, listed and valued the business at £200 million. Now the host of the immensely popular podcast, The Diary of a CEO, and the youngest ever investor on the long-running BBC show Dragon's Den, he's here today to talk ambition, failure and his secrets to success. So welcome, Stephen, to your Sherlock's In Conversation podcast. Lovely to have you.
2: Thanks for having me, Charlotte. Pleasure. Um,
1: we're going to launch in. We're going to launch straight in and talk about the moments in your life that have defined you. So what are what are the moments in your early life that have really defined you, that you think have kind of got you to where you are today?
2: Yeah, I think when I reflect on my early years, I, I, I think about the factors that shaped my character the most. And I think definitely being um, the blackest and brokest kid in my area created a huge sense of... huge desire and a huge sort of underlying belief that i would be happier and more fulfilled if i um, had money and i fit in more so i think that's what i pursued i often say i think the things that invalidated us when we're younger end up being the things that we seek most validation from when we're older and i was definitely the blackest a uh, brokest person that i knew growing up so yeah i think that created a lot of insecurity and there's a often a hard to distinguish line between insecurity and ambition they kind of end up looking the same in the world so i think that was really pivotal under the age of 10.
1: Presumably as you say though that was also the motivation for your your current success.
2: Yeah, and I've learned that from doing my podcast, which is a lot of the time, the thing that's motivating someone is some kind of trauma or pain or negative experience. It's not always this thing which entrepreneurs kind of try and portray in hindsight that they had some grand plan and that they're just innately motivated and brilliant. Um, You know, I, I kind of refer to it now because of some of the recent sort of people that I've sat down with as your dark side and people's dark side, their trauma, whatever it is, leads to a a tremendous obsession often or an insecurity. And that drives them to just be a little bit of an anomaly in the world. Um, And then we call them great and they win gold medals and they make millions and yeah.
1: You, I sort of want to jump straight in kind of with the book, with the content. We're going to assume that people know who you are and know what you're doing these days. But I want to ask you about quitting because you've got a whole chapter on that in your book, Happy, Sexy Millionaire. And I personally found that, so refreshing, so different. Can you just explain a bit your stance on quitting and kind of where you think that's got you to today?
2: I think generally in life you'll get further if you're the type of person that is questioning convention and there are tons of conventional narratives that we've all kind of bought into because we've seen them as Instagram quotes, we've seen them go viral or they've become cliche and one of those quotes is that quitting is for losers and so the idea of quitting something has kind of been stigmatized as weakness or um, a bad decision or a evidence of a deficiency in your character. And as I reflected on that, um, that idea and thought about it logically, which, again, I think people that are able to think for themselves and think from first principles end up just with better outcomes in every part of their life. Um, I realized that quitting is, in fact, the very necessary, important thing you do before you start something anyway, you have to quit you usually in all facets of life have to quit something to start. So instead of posing quitting and starting as antithesis or enemies, they are in fact two parts of the same process and equal both are equally important. But in fact, I think the quitting thing is often a lot harder because you're shrouded in the perception of loss. So the loss of a friendship group, if you're dumping your boyfriend, the loss of a community, if you're quitting your job, the loss of, you know, so um, yeah, I I, I, I look back in hindsight at the key moments in my life, the moments that have led me to be someone that you want to speak to today. And in fact, the, the, the defining moments weren't necessarily starting. They were the necessary thing that came before that, which was quitting. So my my in the book, I say that quitting is for winners. And I try and present a framework for being a really, really good quitter in life because it's so evidently clear to me now that and especially from doing the podcast and meeting the best comedian in the world, the, the best athlete in the world, the greatest business person in the world, that every single one of them made a very seemingly courageous decision in the moment at some point at at a crossroads in their life to quit something, to let go of a last branch so that they could grab hold of the next. And actually, it's funny, I wrote that chapter in the book about quitting while I was in the jungle in Costa Rica and I saw the monkey swinging through because I stayed in this treehouse for about a month. I saw the monkey swinging through the um the like canopy in costa rica and you can see what they do these monkeys they're unbelievable they grab one branch then they fling themselves through the air for about sometimes 10 meters and then grasp onto the next one and that's analogous of what it takes to i think be successful and to make forward motion in your life which is you have to be uh, good at letting go of the last branch and and fly, flying through that moment of uncertainty as you as you got grasp onto the next so
1: what's the best thing you've quit the best Quitting decision you've made.
2: I've just made so many I've made so many of them. Um, school was one of them. To, to be completely honest with you, I, I maybe 14, 15 years old. I decide that school's not it for me, and I decide that I'm not going to go anymore. I look, again, this was first principles thinking because. I had realized that my grades were gonna be so bad anyway that quitting, was, that school wasn't gonna be the thing to get me to where I wanted to be in terms of the fundamentals of my life, being free financially and happy and successful. Um, so I stopped going to school, eventually they, they kicked me out. And then I went to sixth form, struggled there, um, got, was kicked out of sixth form, sorry. And then um, went to university, went for one day, quit. And then started a company, did that for two years, built a lot of reputation there, lots of skills, quit out the blue, big glass of wine, email the investors, I'm quitting at 20 years old. I then started a company called Social Chain, which was basically a pivot of the business I just quit. That became a big business worth hundreds and hundreds of millions. I quit completely out of the blue one day. Um, and here I am now. And it's funny, when I tell that story, even when I was at Social Chain, people would always ask me the question, when are you going to quit Social Chain? Like... And I'm sure whatever I'm doing now, at some point, I will quit too, probably. But it's just not overstaying your welcome in a situation that is no longer serving you because you're terrified by uncertainty. And I think everybody listening to this now, that there is a situation in your life where it's no longer serving you in some kind of way, but you're confined and imprisoned by your own false perception of um, the 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 grass not being greener elsewhere or that you won't be able to survive. Anywhere other than where you currently are, and that is that—that's the thing that leads to like midlife crises and dead relationships and misery and a, a lack of fulfillment. So you've got to be a great quitter. You've got to realize quitting is that critically important thing you do before you find, you know, before you find your happier place, um, and you've got to be at peace with that. And if, I think one of the th- and I talk a lot about in the book about the quitting framework. But as I reflect on why it's been so easy for me to quit things as well probably the thing i don't talk too much about in the book is if you have a misunderstanding of what your objective is in life then you will never be a good quitter like if you if you think the objective in your life is safety and comfort and certainty you'll never be a good quitter but i know i don't need to know who you are to know that the objective of your of your life is to be happy and fulfilled and if that's constantly the prism in which you make your quitting de- you make your decisions then it won't be brave or courageous to leave university after one lecture. It will actually be the least courageous thing to do because in reality, it takes a ton of bravery to to risk the most important objective of life, which is your happiness. I, like that's... that's um, that's a level of bravery I don't have. I'm not going to risk my happiness. Absolutely. I'm not going to risk my chance of fulfillment in this one life that I get. I don't, I'm not that brave. So quitting for me is actually quite a cowardice thing to do. It's actually the easiest thing to do when you're and you're abundantly clear on what the point is of, of this one existence you have. So yeah
1: i was going to ask you if you can learn to be a quitter you know if these things if they don't come naturally to you but i guess i mean that answers the question you have to just be looking at life through that prism i mean you talk a lot about and you've touched on it already you know how you kind of naturally question convention again do you think you can learn to kind of have that mentality or do you think that's innate
2: i don't know that's a really interesting question but you know it's um i have a bias where that's what i do um and i'm sure there's many reasons and many experiences and many childhood traumas that have led me to a point where i have the confidence of my conviction to even question things i think even but i do believe that when i started to listen to this idea of first principles thinking when i heard about elon musk and when he was trying to make electric cars for the first time and everybody said you can't make fast affordable electric cars and then he reasons from first principles and goes well actually If I ignore how it's currently being done and I buy the raw materials, the raw constitutes of a battery on the metal exchange for this price and this price and this price, then actually I think I could build a cheap, fast electric car. When I heard that story, it reinforced for me the importance of whenever you're faced with a challenge in your life or something you're trying to solve, you're trying to start a podcast, you're trying to, I don't know, build a business, whatever it might be take a moment of pause, create a culture where you and your team take a moment of pause. And before you accept a decision you're making, really interrogate yourself as to why you're making that decision. Like, why are you doing it like this? Why have you decided to do your podcast like this? Is it possible that you're doing it like this because that's the way it's always been done? And that's the blueprint that history has handed you as to how to do a podcast. If you find yourself in that situation... There's a small group of people who will go to the extra mental effort. And it is extra mental effort because there is no blueprint to try a couple of experiments in 2022 to see if they can find a better way to do a podcast in 2022. And I swear to you, those are the people that have the highest chance of getting the greatest return, copying the blueprint. The blueprint is exhausted and the returns on the blueprint are small. If you really, really want to make a quick um, step forward, or you want to go to number one, or you want to save yourself, you know, 90 to 100% of the time, then you have to lean into risk and say, okay, we're going to have the guts to, and we're going to have the, the extra, we're going to commit and invest the extra energy to, to see if we can find a way to do things even 1% differently. And honestly, it's a cultural thing within your team and the people around you because I've been a big champion of this within my team, but I, I also know that if I wasn't in the room, I do believe that the key people in my team would now be thinking in the same way I think they'd be they have the same kind of obsessive desire to try and do an experiment to see if we can get create something slightly different and i've been in a lot of companies big companies where they don't and they're so stubborn and risk adverse. and their days are numbered unfortunately because innovation is coming for all of us so yeah look at apple (laughs) look at apple look at steve jobs what did he say he said i'm going to remove the keyboard And Microsoft and the the people that own BlackBerry just laughed at him. Well, you're going to remove the keyboard. They laughed and you're going to sell it for 500 quid. I I remember watching the interview of Steve Ballmer, the CEO of Microsoft, just mocking Apple. You're going to sell a phone for 500 quid. You're going to remove the keyboard. He's going, people want a stylus. And then Steve Jobs Jobs goes, do you know what? I actually don't think people actually want an aux jack in their phone either. That is someone that had the courage of his convictions to try and ask questions about what the future looked like and didn't just accept convention all the time. Um, And look what happened, they made Apple. And I don't think, you know,
1: yeah they did quite well um we you talk in your book about elon musk while we're on the subject and about the, you know the story about him deciding chatting to your friend who and he said he was oh, going yeah. to rocket go to space and you know that's in the context of talking about building up your work currency right and your career currency and people really kind of you know having the faith in you and you having kind of built the reputation to allow you to, to make decisions can you be somebody who How can you build yourself into a place where you are somebody who's allowed to make those decisions, respected enough to make those decisions, whilst also being a challenger from the early days? Are there days, are there years of your career where one should just follow the status quo? Um,
2: So I follow the status quo in many ways and the status quo still is uh, still relevant and correct in many facets of business. However, where possible and where I think where I have a suspicion that the status quo might have expired because of of the changing world, and there might be a better way, I hope and I strive to make sure that my team will investigate to find out if there's a new way of doing things. And that's just a philosophy we have, and not everybody has that philosophy. And and honestly, the people that don't, don't actually do that well in life. They don't actually go that far. They don't, they're definitely not the, the innovators, the pioneers, they're not the number ones. Um, Especially like podcasting is such a simple thing to use as as an analogy, but if you start an interview podcast in 2022, and like the cards are already stacked against you because the BBC have like 15 podcasts and they're giving tremendous access to their podcasts of big name celebrities, whatever it might be, they have a big distribution network. So in fact, to be successful, you have to be super, super, you can't just interview people and ask them questions anymore. It's just not enough. It depends. It depends what your objective is here mine is always to be the very very best we can be and to create really valuable things for society so if that's also your objective then you should really be spending a lot more mental energy on focusing in on exactly what it is that's going to make you create your point of difference that a valuable point of difference and it's going to come from first principle thinking it's going to come from you going let me just try the exercise of thinking okay we're in 2022 the world has changed and this must have impacted podcasting in some way. There's millions and millions of podcasts all doing the same thing. They're all delivering their, their podcasts through the same channels in the same and very similar ways. If, if I just focus on what I know to be true, what I know to be very, very true right now, and I and I write down these truths on a piece of paper about how people listen to podcasts, where they listen to them, the type of podcast they want to listen to. I find a truth about how podcasts being shared and I find out what's true there. And then I look at this set of 10 truths that I have based on 2022. And I say, what would I create knowing these 10 things that are true? Ignoring convention, just know what, what you know, to be true. Now, these are your first principles. And if you can reason up from these first principles, you will probably create something that the world in 2022 has not seen before and values. And that's, um, that's what I think innovation is. That's what I think the process of innovation is. Nice.
1: Let's talk about your riskiest moments, your most adventurous moments. What do you think the biggest risk you've taken in your career has been?
2: Uh, so, you know, there's like, I know what people would perceive it as being, but then again, going back to my point earlier. It really wasn't a risk because the, the risk would have been staying in a miserable situation. I guess the, the biggest risks were like leaving a company that where everything was going great. So when I say great, I mean the financials and from an outsider's perspective, the business had grown from know, 150 million to 300 million. And then in the year that I left, I think you hit 700, 600 million in revenue and I quit. And I was the CEO, I was the founder, but it wasn't serving me anymore. And I talk about that in my book. I have a little quitting framework to explain why that might not have been serving me anymore, but I guess people would consider that to be a risk. For me, it was not a risk. It was one of the easier choices I made. It was like ordering lunch in the moment because I'm so unbelievably clear on the prism in which I make my decisions, which is like, how do I feel? And I think there's really no greater inbuilt indicator as to what you should be doing with your life than how does something make you feel? But we tend to ignore that because our parents' opinion seems to sometimes be more significant to us than how we feel or public perception or what people might say. But I think, like, life has handed you how I feel as a key indicator for what you should be doing every day. And I'm very tuned into that. So I was feeling not so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd been feeling not so good for a little while. So it was my time. It was my time to go. And as I say in the book, could I change? So the quitting framework would follow this this sort of um, process, it would say like, you're not feeling good about something, so you're thinking about quitting. Why are you thinking about quitting? I'm gonna go down the, I'm gonna take you down the route that I that I went down on my quitting framework from my book. So um, the next question you ask yourself was, okay, you're not feeling good and you're thinking about quitting. It's been a while since I've looked at my own framework, but would the effort it takes to make it not suck be worth the rewards on offer? And if the answer is no, um, no so, you know, in the context of a marriage, you might have to go to marriage counseling and have loads of issues. But even if you went through all of that effort, would it be worth it? A lot of the time, the answer is no. If the answer is no, quit. If the answer is yes, do the work and try and resolve it. Um, in my case, I didn't think, I thought I could fix it, but the effort it would take to fix my situation with my job, with my company, was no longer worth the rewards on offer. So logically, you quit then, right? The effort it would take is no longer the reward, so you quit. Um, and that's where I was at. I was sat there, feeling like quitting. Um, did I think I could change it? Probably yes. Did I think it would be worth worth it to change? The answer was no.
1: Okay. Doesn't really answer the riskiest career moment, does it?
2: I don't think I, I not Nothing comes to mind, but I know that the world would think quitting your company. I've done. I've quit a startup that I was. That was my entire identity twice. Like where people know you as. Wallpark guy and then they knew me as social chain guy and they might know me soon as diary of a ceo guy or dragon's den guy and I'll, I'll quit and then i'll go mm-hmm. do nothing for a bit and then figure it out
1: that's when it's time to move on um, what's been the most exciting moment of your career or an exciting one that springs to mind
2: i guess i guess a dragon's den was was a dream of mine from the age of like 12 years old so i guess that's the very front of mind but um, I think probably the most exciting thing I'm doing in my life is, is, is the Diary of a Serial podcast, because, you know, the Japanese people have that phrase where, called Ikigai. I'm sure you've heard it. It's been viral on Instagram a couple of times where the key to, to, to life is finding something that is remunerative. It pays you, that does like service to others that you love and that um, you can get good at. And for me, that's what the podcast is. It just feels like a really unique, powerful opportunity and responsibility that we have and what we've created with the show and the listenership is really profound. So I think that's probably the most exciting thing in my life, maybe. But yeah.
1: Let's talk about the podcast. Who who has surprised you the most that you've interviewed?
2: I would say someone like Jimmy Carr was really surprising because you you see them online, you see them on TV and stuff with these, you know, being making kind of crude one-liners, but behind all of these people, it's the same web of complexity and seriousness.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh
2: our personal battles. And in the case of Jimmy Carr, just tremendously like deeply philosophical, you know, you see him as this like crude one-liner guy, but in fact, in reality, he's the opposite. He's deep, philosophical, serious, smart. Um, And those are the ones that I love the most. And really the thesis behind my podcast is like when a guest comes on for better or worse, they should, after watching them on the show, you should know them whether you like him or not, like you should know him. And Mm. that should be the case with every guest we have on, you know, whether it's, just think about some of the recent ones, whether it's Jesse Jay or Terry Crews, or even if it's Matt Hancock, like you might not like him, but you should walk away from that going, do you know what, I think I know him. And that was was the really interesting thing from the comment section is, from the Matt Hancock episode in particular, was people really came away with a sense of like, I think I know this person a little bit more. So
1: Jimmy Carr's book does that as well. I agree. I found him very surprising from his book too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who, I mean, I'm sure there's been endless, but what piece of advice that you've received on the podcast or that somebody has said that they've received on your podcast has stayed with you?
2: The one I always talk about is just, I don't know if it, I don't even know how it sounds, but, um, when Mo Gowdak came on my podcast, it's probably my, it is my favorite ever podcast. Um, Mm And he just talked about why people are unhappy. and I've just never, I've never, it was so simple and I've never really managed to forget it. He he said quite simply that when your expectations of how life is supposed to be going, go unmet, you'll be unhappy. And this explains why, you know, you go to a Michelin star restaurant and there's a billionaire who has ordered a, you know, five Michelin star steak. And it's not quite cooked in the way that he had ordered it. And although he's in May for having a Michelin star steak, If his expectation of how life was supposed to be going with that stake goes unmet, even though he's got tremendous privilege or she's got tremendous privilege, he will be visibly unhappy. Whereas you could go to a more part of the world which is economically struggling, And a bowl of rice can cause euphoria. And it shows that really the subjective perception of your own expectations is at the heart of all of our happiness and unhappiness in our relationships, in our jobs. If we get a pay rise and we're expecting a 2K pay rise and it's a 1K pay rise, but if we're expecting a 2K pay rise and it's a 3K, like it explains so much about why... Some people in unbelievably privileged situations can be absolutely miserable when um, and why people in deprived situations can be euphoric with receiving half as much. So it makes me think a lot about my own expectations of life, of people, of happiness, and how I should really manage them if I want to have fruitful outcomes as it relates to my happiness. I always remember
1: uh, Matt Damon on Graham Norton saying that when he won an Oscar really young, Mm. He couldn't he was he, he said it's the biggest feeling was god i'm so pleased this has happened to me so young and that i didn't spend my entire life striving for this because yeah. i would have met that disappointment would have only been greater had it happened to me so much later in life do you think that the happiness comes from or your your interest in happiness comes from seeing the the double-edged sword that is success
2: so um I think there's, I think there's a few things. I remember being obsessed with psychology, so I got expelled from school with thirty, roughly about thirty percent attendance, and my hundred percent attendances came from business and psychology. I was just, I loved reading the textbook. I loved. I remember reading about resource monkeys and the impact it has when you get a resource monkey and you um, give it a wire mother so you make a a mother out of just wires or you give it a fake mother but made out of wool and how that that recess monkey will have a lifelong trauma because it didn't have touch it didn't have soft touch and I I remember being obsessed about that textbook I remember the look of the textbook how thick it was taking it home reading it as if it was a a game so I've always had this kind of in it and me me and Mrs., Mrs Lowney my psychology teacher really got on as well and I was I said you know, I said to Miss Lani, I said to her I had a bet with her that I'd make 50 million and she and she didn't believe me. And I remember making that and I've never I just remembered that then. But I had a bet with her that I'd make 50 million. Oh, and I, I, cool. and I said,
0: Yeah. yeah, should, but, anyway, um, yeah.
2: <laughs> but but I was obsessed with psychology because um I, and I think that was only reinforced. That's probably why I did marketing, because marketing is a game of like, you know, getting people to act in a way that you are trying to make them act, whether it's buying something or believing something or whatever it might be that's why my podcast is the way it is because i'm obsessed with psychology and that's why i ask the questions i ask but to answer your question yeah so when i when i had when my insecurities from my childhood were finally realized and i got all the things that i thought would make me happy i became the study of my own psychological experiment and examination i was like well why aren't you happy and then went down a long hole of that and by within about two about one year i had a really strong thesis that It was really pointless to pursue those things and i also understood why i pursued them i understood the insecurities of my childhood and being black and uh, relaxing my hair and being broke and i understood all my traumas with my parents and relationships and why i always ran away from women whenever they you know even if i pursued a woman when she showed interest in me i'd reject her i understood it all um because i love psychology and yeah i love introspection my podcast is basically therapy right it's like i sit here and do celebrity therapy a lot of the time so it comes from that
1: Who do you look up to?
2: Um, So many people, so many people in so many ways. Um, Yeah. Like uh, my, my variety of inspiration is so broad as I think it is for everybody, but I just don't think they realize it. It could be a song, could be someone just being kind on a train. Obviously Elon Musk is a big one. Um, I, I look up to Elon Musk for his level of ambition, but really more because of his diversity of ambition. So the fact that a guy could start a company called Zip2 that you probably never heard about and sell it, I think, for 200 million, and then start a company called PayPal that you have heard about, and then sell that for many billions, and then a rocket company, and then a car company, then a Neuralink company. Now he's got Twitter and the boring companies building tunnels for taxis. Like the diversity of ambition really inspires me there because I think that we naturally, all of us, give ourselves a label and then live it out. I talk about this in the book. Whereas, and then I think that leads to unfulfillment. I think our identity can be a real, real curse. I've seen that with my podcast guests, like Fern Cotton, um, how when you give yourself an identity because you want to fit in and make sense, that it can actually be over the long-term an imprisoning thing. And it stops you from being who you truly are. I mean, I saw that with Jesse J. She said to me on the podcast, which came out this week, she used to show up to family barbecues, like dressed like the character, Jesse J. And she said to me, she didn't even know what her favorite color was or what food she liked because her identity had consumed her. And and Elon is someone that's so free from like the label of what he is in terms of, he wasn't a car entrepreneur or a fintech entrepreneur. He, He was a, He's everything, and Kanye is on my wall as well because of the same reasons. Do I agree with Kanye in every way? Absolutely not. But he resisted his label. He was a producer, then he was a rapper. If you've seen the Jesus document, the Jesus documentary, is pre like it shows it. He was a producer, then he was a rapper, then he was a fashion designer, then he was like a you know building these these stadiums and infrastructure now. It's all. But I love that. I think that's what we should all be. I think we should all be free from labels. So yeah.
1: Do you believe in manifestation? You said before something oh, about dragons den and how you know that was a dream when you were twelve. Like, how much do you believe that we kind of make things come to us?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I could I could be the most extreme case of manifestation because I used to. How are you want to look at it? So I used to pause the TV and pretend I was the sixth dragon. But mm-hmm. then three months, I posted this on my LinkedIn so everyone could see. Three months before I became a dragon, and they called me. I posted a message to my group chat, my team, and said, "I want to be a dragon now." And then three months later, I get anyone from the BBC come in to meet us with a team that make Dragon's Den. I could do this over and over again, Soccer Aid. So I'm sat here at Christmas watching Soccer Aid. I text Dom, who sat over there, and Sophie, who sat in that room. And I go, I'm watching Soccer Aid. I want to do Soccer Aid. And then, I don't know, three months later, Dom sends me a a screenshot of an email. You'll never guess who's just got in touch. My life is riddled with all of these things. However, do I believe in the manifestation that people like to believe in because it's easy? They like sit there, think about it, put it on the mood board, and then it happens? It's not, no. I will never buy into fluff. Um, Mm -hmm. I see manifestation like, I see taking a journey to work in the morning. You get in the car, you put the sat nav on, right? That's your manifestation. This is the direction that I want to go in. But, but if you don't turn the engine on and drive, you're going to spend all day in your garage. And there's a lot of people sat in their garage thinking about where they want to go because the hard part, the exhaustive part is the driving. So you've got to set your sat nav and drive. Let's play out this other scenario where you don't manifest at all and you just drive, well, then you're going to get lost if you have no sense of direction. And you're going to spend all day driving around until you've run out of petrol. So they both play a mutually um, important role, which is set the sun, manifest the thing, know where you want to go, but then you got to do the work, which is maybe 10 years of really hard stuff. i won't to swear again, but I was going to say another word beginning with S. Really hard stuff.
1: <laughs> um, what do you do for downtime?
2: think about the (laughs) podcast what do i do for downtime i I mean my dj equipment's over there so i'm gonna this weekend i'm gonna do lessons for that because i've been out of country so i'm excited to do lessons for my djing go to the gym every day every single day including the weekends. the weekends i work hardest um i take my dog for a walk um and then i will try and get through my like cloud stuff what i mean by that is there's some things which i need to just think about which need time to just for me to think about. And the weekends is a great time to do that because I don't have meetings or schedules. So I think the weekends will be a lot of cloud cloud stuff.
1: You're not a natural chiller.
2: I, I feel chilled pretty much <laughs> most of the time. Sometimes I'm not so chill, um, but I feel like I don't have a life that I need a break from, fortunately. That's like one of the greatest privileges is like, I don't need a break from what? Like I, you know, I I'm very fortunate that I get to get to make my decisions and go where I want and do what I want. So
1: fitness, nutrition, what do you, what does your routine look like?
2: I go to the gym every day. That's it. Simple. Um, if I don't go to the gym, it's, it really is an anomaly. It's like something must've happened. So I must've been on a plane for 24 hours, but then even the other day when I was in LA and my assistant, who's over there said, this is the flight to Indonesia. It's going to take 18 or 20 hours. I said, well, I'll fly for 36 hours as long as I can stop and do my workout. So instead of flying for 18 hours, I flew for 36 hours, but I stopped in Dubai for eight hours, went, got off the plane, went to the gym. So my friend at the gym, we, we did a workout together, then went back and got on the plane and flew to Indonesia. So I'm very focused on my health. It is, in fact, all of our first foundations, whether you realize it now or not. If you don't realize it's your first foundation yet, you probably haven't had a health health scare. COVID was a big one, but you probably haven't had a substantial health scare, but Nothing else matters. It's uh, your whole life, all your dreams, everything you care about, your family, relationships, whatever, your dog, are actually all contingent on this very simple thing, which is your health. So I try and prioritise that above all else. Do you cook? Not really. I mean, when I'm in London on the weekend, high probability um, that I'll cook because I just get like I just have the extra time. But during the week, no. What
1: do you cook if you cook? You got a
2: something really, really spicy. Like so spicy, you wouldn't even be able to stand within a meter of it.
1: <laughs> what do you do with your friends? Other than go to the gym? Uh,
2: uh, we, uh, so we have a fitness competition. Um, what do I do with my friends? Uh, so with my close friends, there's like six of us that are like my best friends from like maybe a decade. And we all live in different places, but we have a rule now where whenever it's a birthday, a wedding or whatever celebration, we all have to show up. So, yeah, we spend all day talking to each other. But then our real key thing is like when we get together, it's for like a birthday. And there's probably about 20, 20 occasions a year where we all get together for those kind of things.
1: <laughs> um, I've got to ask you about eBay, you have launched a really exciting initiative with them. Can you tell us about it?
2: Yeah, I mean, eBay, I just I just think are a really foundational company. I remember being on eBay when I was... How old was I when I first started using eBay? Maybe 15 or something. Super young. And this, it's crazy that there's there's very few companies in my life that I still use today. Um, yeah, and so when when eBay approached me with this campaign, the Wintern campaign, I thought it was right up my street. One of the, my favorite things to do is to mentor young people. I have... I, I, I mean, much of my... objective of my content strategy is centered on mentorship and helping young people um get a chance the chance that i had in my life and when ebay approached me with the idea of us having doing this competition to find to for me to become that intern for someone else i thought and to be able to mentor someone via being their intern i thought it was a perfect fit for me so yeah i'm super excited and the response to it already has been insane so
1: what are you looking for
2: um I think business and Dragon's Den has taught me a ton about what to look for and in terms of the people that are most conducive with being successful. And the it always tends to be character traits. It doesn't actually tend to be great ideas. I've bet a ton on my life and like trying to help people with great ideas. And I've nearly always been failed with that approach. But when I've focused on working with people who have the right character traits, optimism, a certain level of resilience, a real, when I say optimism, I need to like really stress that point, a real default to optimism where something bad happens and they don't catastrophize, their default is always to lean towards optimism. That seems to be an incredibly important trait. Um, hard work um, and fun, I think, is underrated as well because you've got to enjoy yourself. So that's the, that, those are the, the characteristics I'm looking for. Yeah, and that's the kind of company that I want to support.
1: Have you had any key mentors in your career?
2: You know, I've had a few, but uh, I think that again, this is one of those things of convention getting the best of us a little bit. I was gonna
1: say, I was gonna say, is that too conventional uh, a kind of stereotype?
2: Well, yeah, you you know what it is. I have so many messages from young people saying, will you be my mentor? And the way they frame it is as if they cannot continue or persist until they find a mentor and i hear so many kids say to me i want to do this than this i just need to find a mentor i think why do you need to find the a mentor you've got the internet which knows more than anyone else and it's virtually free as long as you have you know in this country it's virtually free you can go to a, a coffee shop and use free internet if you have a phone and a device to access the internet with so this like old archaic perception that you need a successful person to hold your hand all the way to where you want to go i think is outdated and i actually think it's really harmful because i see it in my dms this this belief that without a mentor you cannot get there um, but the internet is your mentor today it, youtube is your mentor google is your mentor tiktok can be your mentor podcast can be your mentor um and they, honestly they're a much better mentor much more reliable much more in your time so Yeah.
1: What business have you come across in recent times, maybe on Dragon's Den, that has really excited you?
2: I'm going to say ThirdWeb, which is my company we founded last year in San Francisco. Um, It received a 50 million valuation at the end of the year, and we're now raising at a 400 million valuation, Um, This closing that round over the next week or two. And it's in the Web3 space. I think that Web3, which is everything from decentralization to cryptocurrencies and DAOs and all of this, all of these new terminology that we're using now in the Web3 space is the next wave in the same way that Web2, social media, um, was a tremendous wave where I made my career. I think Web3 is the next most important wave. And that third web, we've created a platform which allows the world's biggest creators, brands, companies to build Web3 stuff applications within a few clicks and the business is doing tremendously well. So I'm really excited about that. Our investors are all the biggest investors in the world in terms of entrepreneurs, Mark Cuban, Gary Vaynerchuk, you name them. And it's going really well. And that's what I'm becoming most excited about. I think it's probably the thing that will be the biggest thing I do.
1: What do you want your legacy to be?
2: I don't really care, to be honest. I don't really care what people say about me when I'm dead. Um, I hope that while I'm here, I can help a lot of people free themselves from any pain or anything that's making their lives a bit miserable and give them hope and give them inspiration. that would that feels really worthwhile to me. That feels really worthwhile to like make someone else's existence a little bit better um, and to, to try and re- relieve them of pain and any thoughts that are limiting them. Um, but I don't care about my legacy doesn't seem to be seems to be a little bit wrapped up in ego to care about my legacy like you know, doesn't really matter. And I think if I got too caught up in it, it's kind of like getting too caught up in what other people think of you now, it'd probably not do me any favors. So all I can do is my best every day and um, be at peace with the realization that that's all I could do. And the outcomes of that are just an experiment that I may never see um, the results for while I'm alive. So.
1: I guess people will be surprised, not surprised, but if, you know, you could stop working, right? So if that's not what motivates you, then what what keeps you going? What makes you get up every day and keep building businesses?
2: So like um, I used to think that, I mean, you've only ever had to go through one instance in your life where you've achieved the thing you wanted to achieve and you've reached the milestone to know that that's like not enough to retire on the beach in Honolulu with a mojito, so in, it really it is the climb like that is the happiness so if I stop climbing then I would stop being happy so my life is about really enjoying the climb there is no top of the mountain and I'm well aware of that and I'm completely okay with that so it's like how can I make sure today was enjoyable and tomorrow is enjoyable and the day after that is enjoyable um, and then eventually my days run out and I die and I'm not here anymore um, and that's fine that's great but want to make sure today was really good, full of all the things that are fundamental to my happiness. So things like legacy and other, honestly, other like big milestones are actually just like mirages that disappear as you get nearer. So not worth c- caring about that.
1: Final question. What is still on your to-do list?
2: Want to DJ? <laughs> Going to do some big DJing shows. Going to build a massive media company. Going to have a big family. Going to... Biggest podcast in the world. Gonna, I'll probably be part of the media company, but also. Um, going to start a foundation that's going to help, at first, teach disadvantaged kids about money and how to make money and how to invest their money and not spend it on Rolexes. Then at second, I don't know what it will do second, but that's its first objective. Going to do more work on psychedelics curing mental health. I'm ready creative director of the biggest psychedelics company in the world, but I'm going to do more on that because I really believe in that. Um, and yeah, I don't know what else. Connect more with my family because I'm a little bit distant at the moment. So
1: Sounds like you're going to be a busy guy. Thank you so much for your okay. time saying, Stephen. We really appreciate it. Um, all information about the eBay competition uh, will be in the show notes below. Stephen, thank you so much.
2: Really appreciate it. Thank you, Charlotte. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. You can catch Stephen on Dragon's Den on BBC One and also on all podcast apps. Check out The Diary of the CEO. We hope you enjoyed that. If you have any feedback at all, please do email podcast at We love hearing from you. Don't forget also to rate with you, subscribe, and tell your friends. bye up.